Welcome to the New England Football Show. I'm your host, John Serenitas, and as always, I'm joined by my partners, Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin. Gentlemen, how are you on this rainy Monday evening? Doing good, man. Long night last night. Doing well. Long night last night. Typical yes. fall weather, you know. Yep. Yeah, I always tell people I feel like October and April are the same month. It's just that April is in the spring, October's in the fall. But weather-wise, they're pretty much the same month, although they, they start and end differently, right? Like October starts warm and ends cold. April starts cold and ends warm. But yeah. they're, they're pretty much the same month. That's just my weather theory. I figured <laughs> I'd, I'd share that. And, of course, you are watching the New England Football Show, and I want to take a minute real quick to uh, mention our sponsors. Um Gold Athletics, if you are in the market to fundraise winter and spring coaches and you need to go to goldathletics.net, take a look at what they have to offer. Get in touch with Matt Ross and his team, and they will get you on your way. Uh, Dill's Place, uh, the holidays will be here before you know it. And if you're ready to shop for the holidays, well, then you might want to visit Dylan Muse's Etsy page. He does a lot of great stuff. He's got a lot of good woodworking stuff there. He's got some other stuff that he has built that that it doesn't involve wood. He's just a talented dude. And if you want that organic gift that's different, not the same old, same old that you bought on Amazon or the mall, then you need to check out Dylan's Etsy page. Again, that's Dill's Place, and you can find him on Etsy. Uh, of course, Block Builders is another one of our sponsors as well. Corey Bailey and his team have been uh, in the construction business for years. Their company motto is built on relationships, and they truly are. Many of their contracts are all in the New England area, and their contracts that are referral contracts, meaning that people have referred them to others to build their buildings or structures for them. So if you're in the market for either a remodel or a new building, then take a look at Block Builders Built on Relationships. And, of course, finally, I want to mention our partners at um, Championship Awards Guys. Ken Nally and his team do a tremendous job. Coaches, if you are, if you need awards, if you need plaques, if you need medals, whatever it might be, um, check them out. Get in touch with Ken, and they can take care of you and what you need. All right, now, Stone, you want to announce our game of the week? Yeah, we are heading to the Merrimack Valley this week. Uh, Barica, who is 4-0, will be at Tewksbury, who I believe uh, is 3-1. So it should be another you know great game. We've had, I think, every game that we've picked so far, uh, has come either right down to the wire or been, you know, at least competitive in the second half. So uh, this one should be a really good one. Yeah, it will be. And then, of course, it'll be our first trip to the MVC. And uh, we'll be getting in touch with the coaches tomorrow to line up captains for Thursday night's Game of the Week preview show sponsored by Gold Athletics. All right, let's just jump into this. Of course, obviously, the biggest story. It seems like it's been the biggest story now for the last two weeks because many of the members of the media around here jumped the gun and started covering it the week of the New Orleans game. We did not do that. We waited patiently. Of course, it's Brady Bowl. It's over. It's behind us. Patriots suffer a tough 1917 loss to Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. And I'm just going to jump right into it. Just some general thoughts. Kevin and I talked a little bit about it last night in the postgame show. Adam, I wanted to get your thoughts on the game. Well, um, it feels like there's been a lot of like almost kind of moral victory talk for the Patriots here. Because a lot of people expected uh, the Bucks to dominate, and they didn't. It was a really very even game. And uh, but at the end of the day, the Pats are one and three, and you know they could be rounding into form. Some of this, w what happened in this game, can give them confidence. 
heading into the rest of the way if, if, if they so choose. Um, but it's just it's it's looking tough. One and three is one and three, and that's not a good record uh, after four games, especially when you look back some of the games they could have won. You know, like that Miami game, that that's that could come back to haunt them, and uh, and they and they had a lot of chances to win this Bucks game too. So uh, I'm having a, I can see why people see a, somewhat of a moral victory here, but it just seems like tough when you're one and three. Yeah, you couldn't be more right. Um, that was my biggest takeaway was Mac Jones last night. I mean, how could you not be happy and excited about what he looked like? But man, one is one and three is one and three. So uh, they have a hell of a climb right now. But moral victory, I you know, no, I, I don't really believe in them. But it's just so hard not to love what Mac Jones looked like last night. Um, but but you're right, man. One and three is you you're you have the same record as the Jets right now. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, they're, they're in some trouble. That Dallas game is not a lock right now. You know, Dak's playing really well. Yeah. Uh, their schedule is, it's going to get harder. So, um, that, that's a tough loss last night. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with both of you. I think that's the bigger takeaway here for me is that they're one and three, you know what I mean? Like I I'm over Brady, I'm over the return and, and it was a lot. And I think it was a lot on him. I think you saw it last night. I don't know how well you saw it on TV, but if you were there, you can kind of feel a little bit of tension with him physically. You could see it with him and his mannerisms. Um, he certainly played like a guy that was amped up throughout the game, given the fact that he he missed a few guys that were open throughout the course of that game. But I'm, I'm glad we're past this because I think that this was a distraction. It had been a looming distraction for both teams, for both the Patriots and the Buccaneers. And I, and I think – Bill Belichick and Bruce Arians, to a man, would tell you they're happy that it's over and they can move forward now with the rest of their season. Now, it's over. You can move forward, but you guys both said it. They're one and three, and they're already in a hole. And I don't care that they have the same record as the Jets. That doesn't mean anything to me. What matters to me now is how do you regroup and win this week? Now, in theory, you're at Houston, winnable game. You should take care of business. They're not good enough to quite say that they're a team that just goes into places and takes care of business. But they got to have this one. And I think it has to be a week-to-week mentality. Get this one. Get to two and three. Dallas is playing well, but you can beat them. Dallas has struggled here through the years, even when they were good in the 70s. So that's that's a game that's going to be tough to win because the Cowboys are finally playing up to their potential. They're explosive on offense. Their defense has played well under Dan Quinn, their UD coordinator. That'll be a tough game for them, but it's a game that they can win as well. So I think for me, the biggest thing is, you lose a game like this last night, it really is all about penalties and turnovers. And at the end of the day, when you're playing in a game like this, the margin of of error is razor thin. And I've said that since the end of this game. Games like this are typically determined by penalties and turnovers. They had eight penalties for 77 yards, two turnovers. Tampa Bay did not turn the ball over. They had seven penalties, I think, for 74 yards. But the bottom line is that's what the game came down to. I mean, when you look at the game and break it down, it came down to three plays. It came down to the Taylor fumble. At that, where, given where that happened, they were in position to at least come away with three. The Van Noy P.I., which I think was a horrifically bad call, and the missed field goal. And if you want to really broaden the, the, the scope, if you will, and look at their season to this point, they could very easily be 3-1. and one, And you can make the case – they're two plays away from being three and one. A Damian Harris fumble against Miami, 
and a missed field goal last night. So it's hard, right? Because this is a team that's there. There's a lot of positives to take away. But again, don't give me this moral victory crap. You're the New England Patriots. If this fan base starts settling into this mentality that we're accepting moral victories, we're in trouble. For 20 years, you've expected nothing but excellence from this organization. Let's not slip into that morass now where we, where if they play well, we applaud them. That, that That's bull crap. It really bugs me. And, and, and as always, folks, you can join the conversation. Feel free. Facebook, Twitter, we're on live. Jump in. Ask questions, comments, whatever. Join the conversation. We want you to. We love you interacting with us. So jump in. Um, we wrote a bunch of stuff about this today, but just your thoughts on Brady, how he played, how he handled last night. Um, I think Belichick had a good game plan for him in terms of like the, the, he didn't have a lot of easy throws right? and he didn't have a lot of easy downfield plays. They, they were able to hit a couple things, but it, what, it just, you know, I, I feel like Belichick made him uncomfortable with what he was throwing at him uh, on, on defense. So I thought Brady did well enough to get the win. It's, it's funny, like, there's so many people talking about um, how the how Mac Jones outplayed Brady. Well, if, if Mac Jones played so well, why not put him in, put the ball in his hands on fourth and three? there if he's playing so well then why doesn't he get a shot to win the game there i mean he's asking for four yards or three yards whatever i mean uh so so brady did get the last laugh and um you know i didn't think he played outstanding or anything but he played winning football so uh i think that's that's all you got to say about that one yeah on the field you, you pretty much hit everything for me one of the more startling things was after the game hearing him talk about retirement so openly. Um, it's something we hadn't heard or seen him do really ever. Um, and, and you could tell, John, you said it earlier, it's nice that this is over. Even as a Brady guy, I'm happy it's over. It felt like a Super Bowl for two weeks. Um, so it's nice that this is finally, you know, kind of out of the way. But in terms of how he handled it, man, after the game, he sounded like a guy who had, you know, a lot of closure. And um, it's kind of looking, you know, kind of at that that back nine now, I think. Yeah, listen, he's not going to play until he's 50. I know that that gibberish is being floated around out there. He's not playing until he's 50. Now, I don't think they're going to win it this year. I've been on record as saying that I don't. And and I think you saw last night why I really, truly believe. And again, I'm going to say this, and it's going to be, well, you're being a, an anti-Brady guy and all this other nonsense. I'm not being an anti-Brady guy. I really believe that when you look at their playoff run in January, I, I think they're a classic example of a team that caught lightning in a bottle. They just played their best football at the right time of the year. And, and, and Green Bay did everything they could to give away that game, and they gave it away. And I think when you look at this team last night, there's a lot of talent there. But if you could find a way to rattle him, and the Rams did it last week, Patriots did it last night, if you could find a way to get him off his spot and make him uncomfortable, and they can't make those plays down the field because they're a team that in many ways lives and dies with shot plays. I give Arians and Leftwich credit last night. They were pretty patient with the running game. I didn't think they'd be that patient because they're they're normally not that patient. Arians is not a guy that is known for sticking with his running game. He's always been a guy that abandons it relatively quickly. They didn't do that last night. They stuck with it. And I think it paid off for them. But you saw it right before the two-minute warning. The Patriots take a timeout with two minutes and 13 seconds left to stop the clock. 
The Patriots then have a substitution gaffe on their one of their sub packages where Chase Winovich is running back and forth, not knowing if he's in or not. He's being told to get off the field. He runs back on. He runs off again. They have to burn a timeout. So what does Tampa Bay do? In, in, in their attempt to be aggressive, they throw two fade balls and stop the clock twice. So in essence, they negated the Patriots using that Winovich timeout. They saved them time, which could have bitten them in the ass if Folk hits that field goal or if the Patriots you know, were to score a touchdown on that ensuing possession. So, I mean, again, I know a lot of people love them, and, and it's hard not to. But I, I, to me, Mac Jones did outplay him. And I know Jones had the pick, but I do think Mac Jones outplayed him. I think Mac Jones outplayed him because I think Mac Jones has a lot less to work with. I think if you put Mac Jones in that Tampa offense, they probably scored 35 last night. And I'm not kidding when I say that. I really believe that. And that's not a knock on Brady. I think that they probably scored 28 to 35 last night. I, he did outplay him. Brady, I felt, did not play well. He did enough. He, he didn't turn the ball over, which is always a good thing. But I don't think he played well. I think for the first time in a long time, we saw a human Tom Brady. When we think of Tom Brady, we think of this guy who's a cyborg, who's going to play until he's 50. He's a machine. He eats avocado ice cream, and he does his plyometrics, and he gets weird massages from Guerrero, and that's why he's playing at 44. But I think we saw the human side of Brady last night. I think the environment got to him. I think that I think that what they did defensively affected him. And I think that he was just amped up. Scott Zolak talked about this, and I thought he was spot on when he said Brady traditionally has struggled early in big games, including the Super Bowl, because he's just so amped up that he ends up missing guys that are open. And I think you saw that for four quarters last night. He was inconsistent, and I think that helped keep the Patriots in the game. Yeah, I agree. And real quick, you mentioned last year's team, too. Yes, they went on the road and won in the postseason, but let's not forget they weren't dealing with the actual, you know, road atmospheres, too. So, um, and again, I'm a big Brady guy, but you can't take that away. So, he was, I think he was definitely affected last night. You could see it even on TV, um, even in his face. Like, you could, it's impossible to ignore, you know, what was going on. So, uh, I, I definitely think that he tried to keep it in control, but. Um, you, you can't, I mean, not, he's a human, like you said, I I've been there since the beginning of this run in some capacity, whether it was when I was at BCN or as a season ticket holder. And I can honestly tell you that when they were on offense last night, that is as loud as I've ever heard that place. I mean, it was loud and, and it affected them. It affected them. They went to a silent count, you, you know, and say what you want about Patriot fans, and it was interesting because pregame they were loving on him. Brady, Brady, Brady comes out and does a let's go, hugs McDaniels. As soon as he walks out there from their first possession, they booed him mercilessly. And and the person that I was with says, I can't believe they're doing this, and why are they doing it? I'm like, why not do it? It's over right. now. The game has started. It's no longer about Tom Brady. It's about the Patriots now. Yeah. Right? We can't yeah, they he can't win you any more Super Bowls playing for the Bucks. If you're a Patriots fan, you should boo him once he gets on the other team. You know, right. come on. It, it is. It's ridiculous that that was even a topic of conversation. But there were a lot of people that were that were upset that somehow that happened. He's on the other team. If you're a New England Patriots fan, he's no longer, to your point, Adam, he's not winning you a Super Bowl. He's not putting any more banners up in your building. So right. boo him. He's on the other team. Yeah. 
Right, Stone, did you boo him? I mean, I know that you're a honk. Did you boo him? Uh, if I was there, I would not have. But uh, to, to your point, though, we I wrote about that crowd noise last week. Um, when he first talked to the media and we heard his voice was shot, I immediately thought in my head, you know what, if that crowd is a, a more pro-Patriots crowd, which clearly it was, that could affect him, and clearly it did. So it's good to hear that it was a loud crowd because – Again, that place is not known for its noise. I, I never once, by the way, thought that it wouldn't be a pro-Patriots crowd. Listen, one thing you can say about this this market is this is a proud fan base when it comes to sports yeah. up here. doesn't matter whether it's the Patriots, the Red Sox, the Celtics, the Bruins. They bleed their teams. And, and great athletes come and go. And they're always and, – and they're elite athletes. They put on a pedestal like no other here. They're going to love them like – they will never be loved like this anywhere else. But you got to remember, though, right? When you think about the all-time greats, think of it this way. Ted Williams didn't come here again in another uniform. He didn't play for someone else against the Red Sox. Larry Bird didn't play against the Celtics with someone else. He came in as a coach of the Pacers, but he never came in here as a player playing against them. Bobby Orr did with the Chicago Blackhawks, but Orr was Orr was a god in this town. So it didn't matter. It was a blip on the radar. It didn't really affect him. Bill Russell never came back and played against the Celtics. So in many ways, this is uncharted territory. I'm not going to put Pedro in that conversation because as great as Pedro is, I don't think he's, he's in that stratosphere of Boston sports athletes. I think he's in whatever the next tier is. But – Tom Brady, in many ways, I guess you can you can say or as well, but Brady, in many ways, is the first great Boston sports athlete that's had to come back and play against him. That's that's in that so-called Mount Rushmore of Boston sports athletes. So, in many ways, this was uncharted territory for this fan base, and I thought they made a statement last night that you know what we love you, Tom. We love what you did for us, but it's always going to be about the Patriots. Yeah, there's. There's tons of pride here, and uh, it was a. It must have felt weird uh, as a fan to go through that up and down thing with Brady to say, "Hey, we love you. You're an all-time great, but at the same time, you suck. Don't don't score against us." You know, it's just like it's, it's just sort of a weird thing. But I think the fans did a good job. I, you know, we definitely cheer him for what he gave you but also don't roll over for him. He's on the other team. I will say this. I thought the most emotional part of the night there was when they did the presentation, which shame on NBC for not broadcasting that. When you consider what he's meant to the sport, never mind what he's meant to the Patriots, what he's meant to the sport, at the very least, I mean, the, the, the Today Show was here on Friday. Good Morning America was here on Friday. There was all this pomp and circumstance all weekend. And the fact that they didn't show a one-minute tribute video at the start of the game to a national audience, that that that's dropping the ball to me. Yeah. I mean, it was it was well done by the Patriots. Kudos to them. And that I think is the one time last night where I noticed people around me getting emotional because you see all the great memories on that screen, and a lot of it comes back to you, and you can't help but get emotional because he was here for so long that we all have an emotional attachment to Tom Brady. And he's always going to be Tommy. He's always going to be our, our guy, no matter what he does in Tampa. This is the one thing people don't realize, you know, Peyton Manning leaves Indianapolis, goes to Denver, plays there for four years, goes to two Super Bowls, win, wins one. 
But the Indianapolis fan base, and, and if I ruffle feathers in Indy, too bad, I don't care. But the Indianapolis fan base is not nearly as passionate as this fan base. And I don't care what he does in Tampa the rest of his time there. He will always be Tommy. He will always be our guy. He will always be a Patriot. Right? Like it's never, and people will defend that perspective until their last day because that's just how passionate people are here. It's interesting too because, you know, the past, I don't know, month or so, there's been talking and I guess kind of worry, um, you know, whether he would even consider himself a Patriot when he's all done. You know, just it, it sounded like he wanted. Oh, that's asinine. That's asinine. Oh, no, well, I'm not okay. saying you're saying it yeah, no, I, because yeah. I heard it too. Yeah. But the, the fact that that's even a topic of conversation speaks to how bored people are around here. Come on. Agreed. But agreed. But it's, it is nice that you know he did say what he said after the game last night, just to kind of quell any of those, um, I guess, fears you could call them. Um, I again, I I personally didn't believe that was ever to be true, but um, it is nice to know that. Again, there was it felt like closure last night for everybody involved. Look, best case scenario would have been that he went down there and didn't win anything. And and yeah. in my opinion, if he had gone down there and not won anything, you wouldn't have even remembered he played there. It would have been the same thing as Joe Montana. When Joe Montana leaves San Francisco, goes to Kansas City, he leads him to an AFC championship game, which I think a lot of people have forgotten. But he only played there two years, and you don't now, in retrospect, you don't remember Joe Montana as a chief. You're always going to remember him as a San Francisco 49er. And I think had he gone down there and not won anything, that would have been a blip on the radar. It would have been a, a, he would have been just another quarterback that finished somewhere else, but he will always be a Patriot. I think he'll always be a Patriot, but he won one there. So it's hard not to now regard him as a Buccaneer. And athletes today don't like to disappoint people. So they will never, he will never publicly come out and say, I will always be a Patriot first. I think it would go a long way in re-endearing him, if that makes any sense, to this fan base. But I don't think he's ever going to do it because, let's face it, athletes love, especially for him being being a, a media mogul with his TB12 brand and now he's launching a clothing line and whatever else he's doing. He's not stupid. He's not going to alienate that fan base or that market when he can make money on them. So – Um, Real quick before we wrap this up and move on to um, next week's game in college football, your thoughts on how Belichick handled it this week? I I thought he did a great job in terms of how he handled it. I I, I don't think a lot of people give Bill Belichick enough credit. I think Belichick handled it perfectly this week. No, I agree. Sorry, no, real quick. I thought Friday was perfect. That's all anyone ever wanted. You know, he gave him just enough – but he didn't go too far with it. It was, I agree with you. It was perfect. Um, leading up to it, it felt like it was going to be like pulling teeth. But Friday, he kind of came around and, and and said exactly what everybody wanted to hear. So um, I agree. I thought it was perfect. Sorry, Adam. Yeah, I, 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 I'm sort of the same way. I feel like people were expecting nothing. He gave a little bit when he talked about, uh, you know, if he would have won that much without Brady. And, you know, I thought he was candid there. And that was probably his most candid moment of the week and um you know he and he lim- he just sort of minimized the conversation about it, which is all he wants to do so um and and the thing is people are gonna write their stories anyway it's not like people didn't have mm-hmm. copy because he didn't say much you know so uh i think it's it's fine he did it the way he wanted to and that's fine 
Yeah, I thought he I thought he did a great job in terms of how he handled it. And, and the reason I say that is, is I think I agree with you guys. He gave you just enough. And I thought what he said on Friday was perfect. Basically saying, listen, I get it. I know what this guy meant to my career. I'm not stupid. And I know that I probably wouldn't have won as much without him. He acknowledged that. And I don't think a lot of people thought that he ever would. And then, of course, you have the report last night that after the game, he went into their locker room and they ended up going into, you know, a different area. And they had a private conversation for like 20 minutes. No one's who knows if we're ever going to know what was said in that conversation. Um, But I think it just shows you that this idea that there was this rift and there's no I'm sure there was some kind of a rift. But this idea that those three guys. Kraft, Belichick, Brady don't respect each other, or this idea that there's so much animosity there that they're not on speaking terms. I know that was being floated around, and it's been floated or floating around for a while now. But I, that, that to me is just ridiculous. It's it's how can there not be? Listen, they were together for 20 years, and they did something that's probably never going to happen again. And I don't think people realize how hard that is to work with the same people year in and year out and have that same drive and that same goal. Eventually you want something different. And I'm going to say what I've said all along. I think he wanted out. I think once he saw that they weren't willing to give him that extra year, he had his out. They agreed to allow him to hit the market. Once he did, all it takes is that one team. That one team was Tampa Bay and he was gone. And yes, you could say the Patriots could have handled it better. Yes. The, you know, the Patriots could have done, certain things better throughout that process. But at the end of the day, the Patriots knew that if we pay him 30 million, which they did put that offer on the table, if we pay him 30 million, we're not going to be able to put pieces around him. They knew that he knew that they were willing to pay him, but he also knew that if he took that money, he wasn't going to have the pieces around him to win. So that's why when Belichick says they went all in, all in, in 2018, I believe him because they really did. They knew that they weren't going to have the financial flexibility in 19 and 20 to really add to the roster. Yeah, I agree. I, I just think, um, you know, it, it it's uh, it's good that that it, hopefully they've buried the hatchet, uh, you know, and and they're together and you know they're getting along. Uh, it but it, it feels like with those two, it it almost felt Shakespearean. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like like this this big tragedy. You know, um, and I think people want that. People, people want them to not get along. People want them mm-hmm. to hate each other. Especially the national media. The national media yeah. loves the theater. I yes. think some, some people do, some people don't. It, 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 You know what it's really perfect for? It's perfect for today's uh, sports media culture that thrives on conflict. Mm-hmm. You, know, um, you know, any ESPN show or Fox show or anything like that, where two people are arguing about something. One person will take Brady, the other will take Belichick, and it just plays up and they sort of stoke the flames a little bit. So I'm, you know, I guess I'm I'm ready for this to be over. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm glad we can just uh, sort of talk about football going forward and stuff. Not saying that it's not entertaining. It's entertaining. I'm just feeling like at this point it's a little old. Yeah. Well, after that game yesterday, I, I think a lot of people wouldn't mind a Super Bowl rematch. I don't think we're going to get it, but you never know. No, so and real quick, too, I was actually talking to Chris Gasper on Friday, and he put it perfectly before, you know, this this whole weekend actually took place. And he said, you know, nobody wanted to take the blame for why it ended. 
And I think that's why it was so standoffish. And I just think it's a great way to, to kind of wrap everything up. But, um, and Roddy Harrison on, uh, on pregame last night, he even acknowledged, look, they've talked, you know, they've, they don't hate each other. It's just whether people want to acknowledge it or not, they don't hate each other. So um, it is, it's nice that this is over though. They're not going to hate each other. Right. No. I mean, they, it, anybody that knows anything about that dynasty and, and, and lived through it, whether you covered the team or were a fan, I, I think any rational person would recognize that they both played a humongous hand in that. And of course, Kraft played a huge hand in it. I mean, he's the architect of all this. So, you know, it's not just Bill and, and Tom. You got to you got to talk about Kraft as well because he bought the team and he's the one who hires Belichick and he's the one who got out of the way after kind of being meddlesome with with Parcells and and Carroll. So, they, you know, it's a lot, and people just you know, Adam, I think hit the nail on the head. We live in a in a culture now where it's all about talking heads. I mean, Shannon Sharp comes out last night and says that if Cam Newton plays. The Patriots would have been better off. I mean, come on. How do you – how is that man – he's probably paid a seven-figure salary a year to, to say that nonsense, and it blows my mind that he's still employed, that that he's he's literally using race as the, as the impetus for this conversation, and it drives me crazy because if you don't think Mac Jones has played well up until this point, I think he's probably played better than any of the other rookie quarterbacks. And he played well last night. And for you to sit there and to tweet that out, that just that just speaks to what Adam just said, that that's all they care about is hot takes, taking a side, making some outlandish statement, you know, um, hand gestures and facial gestures. Or, I mean, I guess I do the same thing. But my point is, but I'm Greek. That's my excuse. But my point is, that's we're hand talkers. But it just drives me nuts that that's, the whole impetus of all this is just they're just looking to, to to try to put out some hot take, you know, that Belichick and, you know, Wickersham said this and so-and-so said this. And it's just it's it's ridiculous. But unfortunately, it does draw an audience and we'll see a uh, couple of things real quick. Also, I mean, look, the defense, I thought, played well. They gave him a chance. Matt Judon's been worth every penny. He was all over the place last night. He gives them something they haven't had for a long time. He gives them an inspirational leader. He gives them a legit pass rusher. He is the face of that defense. And I loved the way he deflected a couple of those Brady questions last week as if to say, you know what, F you. You know what, we have pride too, and we're playing in this game. He's not the only one that's going to be out there. So I love that. I love that he gives them an edge. Um, and, and, again, just going back to the point that I made earlier, and that is – they lost this game because of situational football. And how often did we say that over that 20-year run? They never used to lose games like this. In their last, and it's an interesting statistic, in their last 14 games, the Patriots are 4-10 in games decided by one score or less. We never used to say that. We never used to say that. In their last 29 games, they're 10-19. and 19. Now, I kind of want to use that as a jumping-off point to one more quick little Patriot segment before we move on to BC, and that is I think we can all agree that the dynasty is over, right? It's over. I'm not quite ready to bury the organization because I just don't think in the NFL you're down very long. The league is set up to where you can you can bounce right back. It's not like Major League Baseball where you're going to suck ass for seven years until your youngsters develop. It's – 
in the NFL, you can be bad one year, good the next. It's just the way the league is set up. Um, that being said, if the dynasty is dead and the dynasty, let's assume it is dead, um, where do they go from here? I mean, is this a team that you, do you have enough confidence that they have the guy in Mac? Do you have enough confidence that after last night, especially that this team is in a position now where they could contend despite their record? The only reason that they had a, Oh, okay. Um, for me, you know, they, they had good parts of the last draft. I'd love to see a really good draft because that's how you really build your team. And if they can have, if they can stack two or three good drafts together, they might really have something. But the fact is, is they've not really drafted that great at certain positions and it's really hurt them. And they've had to, mm-hmm. they've had to make up for it in free agency, and that's and that's not really what they're about. They're not a team that builds through free agency. They built through the draft, and so if they can have another good draft and maybe two or three back to back to back, like they've done in the past, then I think you start saying this team is on the upswing again. I don't, I don't really like teams that build through free agency. I don't think it works. I just don't I don't think it's the right way to do it. And the Patriots sort of did that this offseason. They had a pretty decent draft because I, I think you like what Mac Jones has uh, first and foremost. But just going forward, you just you gotta hit some of these first and second round picks. It's 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 been crazy how how you know rough it's been for them in that respect. Yeah, I've been critical of the draft for, for years now, but I think the other thing you have to look at through these first few weeks and and just watching Red Zone, you know, yesterday, the NFL is wide open right now. Well, at least it feels like that um, to me. There's no – look, the Chiefs are still the Chiefs, and, um, you know, Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers looks like they're back on track. But in terms of the AFC, you know, you got the Jets beating the Titans yesterday. It's I don't know if they're as far away as maybe I thought they were when the season started. Um, so I don't necessarily know. Again, I wrote the other day that, yes, the dynasty's dead. But like you said, I don't think you can write the franchise off just because of how wide open it seems right now. It's wide open, and and he's still a a tremendous coach. I mean, again, people will get hung up on the 7-9 record last year, but they did did a tremendous job. There was not a lot of talent on that team. And to somehow manipulate seven wins out of that roster, it's a testament to him and that staff and how good they are. Um, The coaching is going to be there. You saw it last night. I mean, that offense – I think I saw a statistic. I think that was the first time that they were held under. I think last week and this week was the first time, and it's some. It was some statistic that they were held under thirty-one points. But the bottom line is, the Rams have a pretty good defense and athletic, fast defense that can match up to Tampa. They held them to twenty-four. You held them to nineteen last night, and you're literally one or two plays away from winning that game. And as I mentioned earlier, you're one or two plays away from being three and one. And Kevin, I think you bring up a great point. I think even as good as Buffalo has looked the last three weeks and Kansas City's Kansas City, I still think if they can find a way to win this week, get to two and three, if they can beat Dallas, get to 500, you have a shot. Remember now, the extra game's a game changer. It is. It's a game changer now because that extra game can get you in the playoffs. And and the one thing that's great about football and why I think it's the best playoffs in sports is it's one game. You, you don't have to beat somebody in a series. It's one game. If you coach your butt off in that one game, if your guys come to play in that one game, you can knock anyone off. We've seen it plenty of times in the NFL playoffs so through the years. So I think that 
yeah, they're not, it's not the dynasty anymore. But And they're not going to be the primetime Patriots anymore, although they still have another primetime game in November. They go to Atlanta on a Thursday night. But you know what? That doesn't have to be the case. They're still the Patriots. It, it's still one of the greatest organizations in league history, and it's still a place that people are going to want to come and play if the money's there because they also know that they have a chance to win. So, But I do agree with you, Adam, just to kind of wrap this up. I've always been a guy that believes you build through the draft. It's hard to win trying to build through free agency. Free agency is in place, in my opinion, to augment what you're doing in the draft, yeah. not to build your roster. I think it should be there to support what you're doing through the draft. All right, let's uh, shift gears here now and talk some college football. Tough one for Boston College on Saturday night. Obviously, expectations have been sky high. Eagles going to this one 4-0, coming off the big win over Missouri, and they end up losing at Clemson. And let's face it, this has been Davos Swinney's worst team in the last 10 years um, by far. They end up losing 19-13 in a game that was mired in some controversy. I just think to me, look, the bottom line is this, and of course, people have already talked about this. Well, Phil Jakovic were healthy. Somehow the last three weeks, we didn't we didn't hear the name Jakovic. Now, all of a sudden, they were in a tight game that they were about to lose, and then they do lose, and everybody's wondering if Phil Jakovic were healthy. Um, the bottom line is this. We said last week going into this game that we wanted to see if they had arrived as a program because Clemson was ripe for the taking. They had an opportunity to make a statement, and they didn't get it done. And my question to you guys is, is what does this mean for them the rest of the season? Because they could still win the ACC Atlantic and get to the ACC title game. But what does this mean for them moving forward? Because ex the expectation was you were going to go down there and win. Well, for me, uh, the, th the thing that seemed different than it usually is when something like this happens is a, a long time BC will be in a game like this against a really good team. And people will say, oh, moral victory, almost had them. Look how far we've come. Look at where we are in comparison to blah, blah, blah. But this game, they there was none of that. It, it, more, it felt more like they should have won or they, they could have won. And it's disappointing that they didn't win. There's no, there, weren't, there wasn't the same moral victory talk coming out of BC. And that's – you can say that's a step in the right direction, sure. But it's just, you know, they they could have won that game. So it's it's good to see that in that respect that the, the program has made steps. I still think this is a team that can contend for the division title. Um, I think they can win the Atlantic. The, you know, I think maybe is, is Wake Forest probably your favorite now? Maybe. You know, and, and Wake Forest has given BC a ton of trouble over the years. Mm -hmm. But I feel like BC's in this. And then, like it was a tough loss, and they should and and they wanted to win, but at the same time, they feel like they feel like a real program here. They feel like they're really in this. So I think that that part of it, that attitude of "Hey, we lost, we would have rather won, no moral victory." I think in that respect, it was big for BC. Yeah, completely agree. And and part of I think part of the reason you didn't hear the moral victory thing is because they know it was all self-inflicted. I mean, they had first and 25 on that, you know, that, that drive, that um, the potential go-ahead drive. Uh, just way too many penalties. Um, to, again, turn the ball over. It's just, it's on them again. And um, yes, they're, they're absolutely still in it, mostly because you have Wake here. 
you have NC State here. Um, all those the tough games are at alumni besides, uh, I believe, Virginia Tech maybe. So everything is still in front no, of them. Virginia but, Tech is here too. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, I'm thinking Georgia Tech. Sorry. So um, everything is very much still in front of them. And that's a just crushing loss though. Um, to, to be that close with Dennis Grossell, who did not play very well, um, but made enough plays late, it, it's it's a tough, tough loss. But um, like you said, everything is still very much in front of them. Yeah, and it's frustrating because a week before, NC State beat Clemson. And and you thought to yourself, well, you know what? that This is going to be Clemson's down year. And Paul Feinbaum came out last week and said he thinks that it's over there, that he thinks they're going to have a hard time recapturing what they've done the last 10 or 12 years. I think that's absurd. And I, I think the world of Paul Feinbaum, I'm a Paul Feinbaum fam, a fan rather, not fam, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but to, to say that it's over at Clemson, I think is, is ridiculous because they're always going to land four and five star kids on a consistent basis. He's one of the best recruiters in the country. It's not going to be over there because like every other blue blood program in the country, they're going to get the best kids. And when you, are in position to get some of the best kids in the country, you're going to compete year in and year out. But this was a missed opportunity for BC, in my opinion, because this was the year, right? This was the year that it's his second year. You had a bunch of those guys back on offense, Jacobic and, and Flowers and Lewis and that offensive line. And then defensively, you brought in a bunch of the transfers. You brought enough back that you could cobble it together and get a pretty good unit out of it. And to lose a game like that and to lose it doing things that, Let's face it, they've done a lot in, in Coach Halfley's short time here. It's frustrating. And I think that's where he was frustrated because you could see it yesterday in, in his conference call. I think that that was part of his frustration is that this is on me ultimately. If we're, if we're making these mistakes, if we're committing these penalties, if we're turning the ball over, he's a smart guy. He recognizes that ultimately, no matter how you spin it, that falls on your coaching staff, which – Let's face it, he's taking a completely different position than the guy that's, you know, in Amherst, who's basically week in and week out coming out and talking about how they don't have this and they don't have that. Um, so I think it's interesting to see how they bounce back. They have the bye week this week. I think it's going to be important they get healthy, get ready for NC State. And then I agree with both of you guys. They got everything they want in front of them, but they need to play much cleaner. Phil Jakovic is done. You're not going to get him back. Rosell's your guy. You're hitching your wagons to him. Find a way to get him back on track. Be a little bit more balanced. Get that running game going. Use this bye week to do that. And I think that they're going to be fine. They're still in it. But now all of a sudden, right here we were at the beginning of the season talking about how this is an easy enough schedule that they can win nine, possibly ten games. Now all of a sudden Wake Forest is pretty good. NC State is pretty good. Vodtech is Vodtech. The schedule doesn't look so easy anymore, does it? No, you're right. And um, real quick, too. We have to mention that you know, on offside call. As a as a for as a coach yourself, uh, I'm sure you've seen it by now. Is that the most egregious thing you've ever seen? I've not, I don't know if I've ever seen that before. I wouldn't say it's the most egregious I've ever seen, but it was bad. And I think at the end of the day, it's like the Vanoid penalty last night. There are certain junctures in the game. Officials don't want to hear this, but coaches will will tell you this to a man. There are certain points in the game, especially late in games. Don't don't inject yourself unless you have to, unless it's just blatant and egregious and that you have to throw the flag. And 
That was my issue last night on that Van Noy play. They didn't need to throw the flag there. He's playing the ball. There's no such thing as face guarding anymore. It's, they, they eliminated that. And to go back to the BC game, yes, that was terrible. And at the end of the day, unfortunately, officials are human. They're going to miss things or they're going to they're going to, you know, maybe throw a flag on something that shouldn't be a penalty. But at the end of the day, it, it unfortunately it does determine games. And in those situations, I think coaches would prefer if officials just took themselves out of it. Only call something, you know, if it's really obvious and egregious. Otherwise, step out of it. You're not – it's not about you. Let the players determine the outcome of the game. Now, I did mention um, UMass indirectly. Um with my comments in regards to Coach Halfley and Coach Bell and their approach in terms of dealing with the media. And I don't say that to be critical. I have nothing but the utmost respect for Coach Bell. I think he's doing the best he can there. I think his staff is doing the best they can there. But it was another tough weekend for the Minutemen. They lose to Toledo 45-7. We talked about this last week. All the momentum and the goodwill that had been established in that BC game is now gone. It's evaporated. Even that Eastern Michigan game, the last two weeks – They've gotten outscored, what, uh, 98 to, to 10? It's it's back off the tracks here. I, I, where do you go? Where do you go? I mean, you got – there's already speculation. Bruce Feldman had a piece out there today that, that co, you know, that Bell's seat is getting warm and, you know, that there's a possibility of a change. He's going to have to beat UConn this week, which, by the way, UConn should have won the last two weeks. They went toe-to-toe with Wyoming and went in there undefeated. And they almost beat – they lost on a last-second vehicle to Vanderbilt this weekend. I don't think they can beat UConn right now. I think UConn's a better team, which is hard to believe considering how bad they looked the first four weeks. Where does this thing go from here? They bench Brady Olsen early. I mean, how do you – where do you go from here? What do you? Well, how do you get this thing to a place where you're back to being as competitive as you were two weeks ago? you got to get Olsen back out there. I mean – Given what he has shown, he's one of the most positive things to happen to your team this season. You've got to foster that, and you got to instill mm-hmm. confidence in him. I agree. Um, so the real—I mean—the list of teams that UMass would beat is very small, and even that—that that, I mean, I hate to say it, but that even goes into the one double A uh, world. I mean, I think there are teams like in in one double A that would that would beat UMass. It's just you got to find – I, I think you got to go back back to Olsen in terms of, you know, him being the guy. Um, but it, it, I, you got to find a way to stop the run. Teams don't, you know, ha- have a hard time running it, running the ball in UMass at all right now. You got to find something positive and cling to it and foster that because right now there's – there's just so much negativity, and I, I think Bell really is coaching for his job. Yeah, I think you hit everything on the head. And, and John, like you said, we have the utmost respect for him. But if you lose to UConn this week, I, when do you make the move? <laughs> I mean, because we've talked about URI as well. URI just won again. I'm not sure UMass can beat them in a few weeks. So. I, I don't know if I'd say when do you make the move, though, because I, give UConn some credit. Luz Spanos has done a good job of, of – of rallying the troops there. And he's got the thing back on track. I'm, I'm telling you right now, I think I think they have a hard time winning Saturday. I do. I think UConn's just playing better football right now. And let's face it, that that's probably a more talented roster. So 
it's we we can sit there and throw these things out there and say, well, if they don't win this week, well, when when do you make them all? I don't think I think that they're going to struggle to win this week. I do. I think it's going to be a good game. I think it's going to be a close game. But if they win, then they he did a nice job. He and the staff did a nice job. But UConn is not the UConn they were two weeks ago. They're just not. So, so to that point, can we all agree that UMass fans will refuse to look at it that way, though, if they do lose? No. Yeah, and, I agree. And then you'll start hearing, you know, hey, we need to make the move. That's, well, that's they, they they, listen, there are UMass fans out there that will tell you they should have made the move after last season. Sure. I mean, I, I unfortunately, and 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 I and I love and appreciate our UMass followers because they're the most passionate of our college football followers, and we oh, love wow. that about them. But we need to look at this, and I've said this before. There needs to be some some. They need to be objective here. That the program is what it is. You know, Don Brown was in town this weekend. I don't know if you guys saw that. He was at the okay. game and. Of course, Don Brown was here, you know. I mean, does that mean Dandy Don's coming back? Who knows? Okay, let's say you you move on from Bell and you do convince a Don Brown. Maybe Don Brown wants one more shot to be a head coach and you get him back here. That's a really good hire. But let me remind you folks of one thing. You went down that road with Mark Whipple. You brought him back too. And it didn't have that transformative effect on the program that people thought it was going to have. And so – I think at the end of the day, this program is what it is. Until they get into a conference, until there's that bowl tie-in, until there's more TV money, it's not going to change there. Life as an independent sucks in college football, period. And until you, there's some, it's UConn's in the same boat. And I'm going to tell you right now, and Adam, I think, will agree with me on this. We can sit here and speculate all we want. Their only winnable game on their schedule right now is two. I think New Mexico State's a winnable game, and I think Maine's a winnable game. And Maine is has the offensive firepower to keep up with them, with Joe Fagnano, Andre Miller. They got a really good skill group there. URI, I wouldn't be surprised if they're the underdogs in that game. Yeah. URI yeah. is really good, fellas, and yeah. and I think people need to start taking notice of Kasim Hill. He might be the best player in the region. You know what I mean? So I, I just think it's one of those things where it's like. There's no gimmies on that schedule. So people need to stop talking about, well, there's three winnable games. There's four winnable. I wouldn't put that pressure on Bell simply because what is he or this program done to warrant those expectations? I, I just don't I, – I don't think it's fair. Agreed. And on the bright side, they did open up as a half-point favorite <laughs> over UConn. So, <laughs> well, it shows um, you how Vegas pays attention to UConn. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You know, so on the flip side, uh, on Saturday, Kevin, you got to see Harvard uh, at Holy Cross. They visited Fitton Field. Of course, Holy Cross lost to Merrimack a couple weeks ago, but bounced back with big wins over Yale and Monmouth. Uh, but Holy Cross, very they, they've been very impressive. But Harvard has been even more impressive. Now, here's the thing about Harvard. In the preseason Ivy League poll, they were picked to finish fourth. But that, but that surprised me because one thing we know about Tim Murphy and his program over there, they are they're in it year in and year out. They should be they're a contender year in and year out in the Ivy League. And after not playing last year, they look really good right now. They're back to playing Harvard football. They're running the football. They've got a dominant front seven that can get pressure on the opposing quarterback. They make plays when they need them, and they're well coached. That was a big win for them over Holy Cross. Yeah, you yeah. Mentioned it. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Okay. Uh, yeah, the the Ivy League's a really good league too. Um 
you know, Dartmouth, uh, I think Dartmouth is probably the favorite right now, right? I mean, uh, yeah, Princeton and Dartmouth, but Dartmouth is off to a 3 0 start. They're playing well. Buddy Tevens yeah. has done a great job getting that program going again. I'm, I'm surprised. I, I thought I did not see any Ivy League teams in the top 25, but that, I, I may have been looking in the wrong spot. Well, Harvard, Harvard's in. They, they yeah. broke the top 25 this week. Yeah. So, you know, Harvard's really good. I thought they were really good in 2019. They just didn't finish strong. Uh, another well-coached program, like just mm-hmm. always, you know, not going to beat itself. Um, so I'm curious to see how they do going down the stretch. Um, curious to see how they do against Dartmouth and Princeton. Uh, this is, this is great. I mean, we, we got some really good one double a football here, you know, it's, do. it's, yeah. it's it, and so I think uh, people should, should get out to one of these games because some of these games I've been to at least, uh, not this year, but in previous years, I was shocked by like how small some of the crowds were. I mean, these are good games, you know. Mm-hmm. These are good games. These are good teams that are nationally, you know, just getting respect to. You are. It, what, it is. You bring up a great point, Adam. Not to to cut you off, but when I went to the Governor's Cup game a couple of weeks ago, URI Brown, and that crowd ended up building up. It got better as the game went on, but. It's it's Division One football. I mean, you got guys on that field that could be playing for Power Five schools that that are there yeah. because they want the education. Um, and and yeah, I think people need to realize that. And there's a reason why our focus with our college coverage is the 15 D1 programs in New England because, you know what, they play really good college football and there's really good athletes on these teams and you really need to know about them. But yeah, I, I think more people should get out and watch the Ivy League games around here because we have. Three, we have four really good programs in our region in Dartmouth, Harvard, Yale, and Brown. Yeah, and uh, so that was my first um, interaction with Coach Murphy ever um, on Saturday. And you can tell, even you know, post game when he's talking to guys or um, even to interacting with families, it's hard not to want to play for him. Um, he is a, a fantastic coach. And uh, you mentioned the front seven for Harvard. Holy Cross ended up using both Siderman and Sluka multiple times on Saturday and just couldn't get into a rhythm at all. And I think it was mostly because of Harvard. Um, the Holy Cross thing is a bit strange. You know, every time they have a big win this year, it's followed up by kind of an ugly loss. Um, and, and we both, all three of us have talked about, you know, how good of a coach Coach Chesney is. But um, that was a little weird to see. But, uh, yeah, Harvard looked very, very good the other day. Uh, they're playing Cornell this weekend. I believe we'll be there. It's They're going to be fun to follow this year. And you mentioned they're now top 25. I think it's um, number 22 in the country. So it's to that point of the good football around here. They might be one of the more underrated teams in the area, I think. Oh, absolutely. And, of course, some of the other games this weekend, Bryant, huge win over Brown. That's a big win for Chris Merritt's team. Brown has struggled. They're young. But still, I mean, they jumped out to a 26-0 lead in that game. Brown stormed back in the second half, but Bryant was able to hold on. Again, that is a program to keep an eye on at Bryant. They have been – Merritt and that staff have done a great job there. A couple of weeks ago, they went out to Akron, and I know it's the Akron Zips, and they're they're you know uh, uh, you know bottom feeder in the Group of Five world. But you know what? They're still a full scholarly D one MAC program, and Bryant went out there and went toe to toe with them. Uh, they pick up the win over Brown, so that's a program that's on the rise. Uh, UNH UNH loses a close one to James Madison, twenty three twenty one. The Wildcats are tough at home. I think a lot of people in the CAA will tell you that's a tough place to play up there in Durham. That, that was proof of it this weekend. I mean, UNH controlled most of that game, and James Madison was able to come back 
and win it. And, and of course, URI, they're 4-0, first time since 2001. Overtime win over Stony Brook. They got a big one this Saturday. They host Delaware at home. Uh, I believe I'm scheduled to go to that one. So I think it's going to – I think the Rams are a team worth keeping an eye on. Coach Flem has done well with recruiting there. They've Kasim Hill, like I said, one of the three best players in the region. He's a guy to keep an eye on. He's a guy that was a power five starting quarterback at Maryland. So there's a reason he's playing at an elite level there, and that, that's why the Rams have been as good as they've been. All right, final topic here, of course, is high school football before we wrap up this week's show. Gentlemen, I just want to get your thoughts real quick. Let's start with Franklin. Obviously, huge win over Mansfield. First time that they beat the Hornets since 2009. That was a year that Franklin won the Hawk, and they beat us at KP. I was the offensive coordinator at King Phillip. They beat us in front of 8,000 people on Thanksgiving. That's the largest crowd I've, uh, I've coached in front of uh, up until I coached in the Super Bowls at Gillette. I mean, it was a huge crowd. And I think there may have been more people there that day than we got at Gillette for the three Super Bowls we went to. But um, but that was a huge win for Coach Bain and, and and the Franklin program. And it's a win that signals that they've arrived. Yeah, I think, um, you know, they've come close. You know, I feel like they've had good teams before this. They've had really good teams. They just haven't been able to beat Mansfield or KP. And they, they were really good and, and confident, too. They, they felt like – they didn't feel like it was some kind of upset. They didn't. They weren't talking it like they were surprised. They feel like they that is something that they're capable of. So it's good. I mean, Gula, Matt Gula. I mean, what a tremendous talent this running back is. He's just so hard to bring down. He runs forward, a good forward lean. He breaks tackles. I, I can't think of any run the other night where. He was in the open field and got tackled with the first guy he came up against. You know, he was just setting the table. It, he didn't score any touchdowns, but he was fine with that. The, they had four touchdowns to four, four passing touchdowns by Jared Aroni to four different receivers. Um, they're a very good team, that, and I think their defense gets overlooked a little bit, mm -hmm. but they hit you. I mean, they, they'll come out and hit you for four quarters. I was very impressed with what I saw from Franklin. Yeah, and uh, again, I was with you that night, and that atmosphere was outstanding as well. Um, I, Ronald City, I, the, the name, it, it's it's not the greatest name, but um, they show up for every single game in any sport. So that was a, a great atmosphere. And uh, I think Coach Bain, who was our coach of the week uh, this week, man, he had them ready to go. You, you mentioned it. They were so confident. And, and after the game, he talked about, you know, look, we don't look as wins as goals. And I think that's a fantastic way to look at things. Um, they are very much, you know, they, they were going to enjoy that one, but they were pretty much already on to their next game. Uh, and I think that's a sign of a, a good team. And, and Adam, you mentioned they've been close. They lost to CM in the D1 Silks final. I think it was two years ago. Uh, I covered that it game. So it was a variant they lost to. Yeah, in a close game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They also uh, played CM. They did yeah. the week after they played CM. Yeah, That's what it was. Okay. But, but just to that point, they've been in those big games enough to, to finally get that big game, um, especially against Mansfield. I think it's a, a springboard for them for, for the rest of the season. Yeah, now you have to wonder, is it them and Milford and the Kelly Rex? Are they the two yeah. prohibitive favorites? That, Milford plays at Mansfield this week, so we'll find out if Milford is legitimately going to be backing up the hype that has surrounded them. And then there's KP, who 
Stumbled against North, but they still haven't lost in the Kelly Rex. They beat Taunton. Taunton goes to Franklin this week. KP has Attleboro. So, you know, once again, the Hawk is the Hawk, right? We talk about it all the time. It's, it's arguably the toughest league in the state, and you see why. And, of course, it's Foxborough who's playing lights out on the Davenport side. And North Attleboro is North Attleboro. They play Foxborough in a couple of weeks. That will probably determine the Davenport winner. So, we shall see. I was down at um, – Catholic Memorial, Hendrickson, and CM. Look, you get the week off after the the forfeit from uh, Amherst Pelham. It, it didn't matter. I, I know we've been saying this all along, and D2 coaches aren't going to want to hear it. This weekend, I got to see CM. I got to see Marshfield. Very impressed with both of them. So Marshfield beat LaSalle 36-21. Uh, and I got to see Hendrickson and LaSalle on the Rhode Island side, the two best programs in Rhode Island. And, and by the way, they – that Hendrickson score, Hendrickson hung around with them in the in the first quarter. They played with them. It's just that the thing with CM, and this is what everybody that's going to play them, no matter where they play them, whether it be there or here, is going to have to contend with. It's just that speed. They can change the complexion of a game on one play. That's exactly what they did. You know, Hendrickson goes down, scores. Brandon Durant, who's a terrific player for Hendrickson, a kid who's going to Kentucky on, on a baseball scholarship, but is is a kid that could have also had football scholarship offers. They go down, score, go up seven to nothing. Three plays later, boom, there you go. Touchdown, CM. Uh, Petrangolo throws a touchdown pass, and it's seven seven. And then they're off and running. And next thing you know, it's forty two seven at the half. And, and I think that's what you're going to have to contend with with CM. No matter what you do, you can try to play keep away. You can you can try to do all these different things to their skill. They're just so good and so skilled that as long as they're healthy, that's really the only thing that can derail them is, is if they have injuries. They're healthy. They're going to be tough to beat. Marshfield I was impressed with. I wanted to get a look at him. I thought LaSalle was a pretty good test for him. Marshfield doesn't have that one breakaway kid, but they, they've got players like Jack Marini in the backfield, McPherson at quarterback. they got some good skill that they can get the ball to. They're going to be a team that that's worth keeping an eye on in D2. They almost beat the prep. Opening weekend, Chris Aruka does a great job there. They run the spread, get the ball out quick. They do some nice things. They're another team to keep an eye on in D2. All right. Any final thoughts here, gentlemen? No, just to go back to Milford real quick, them and Franklin wrap up the season on the 29th. Um, that might be one of the games of the year. So just to kind of look forward to that as well. Yeah, and the, with CM, there may be some teams – that have one guy who can run like Jones or Skeet or any of those guys. They might have one guy, but CM, it's got like they got like four or five guys who can run like that. Right. Yeah. yeah that's right. what makes them so much more difficult to defend. Is like, well, you gonna are you gonna bracket this guy knowing that this other guy over here is gonna be in one on one coverage if you do that? Uh, CM has embarrassment embarrassment of riches at. at at the backs and receivers positions. I don't know how you slow that down. Real quick, and I know that we don't really necessarily know what other states may have. And I thought about this the other night on the way home from Hendrickson. Of course, on the way home from Hendrickson, everything was closed. I wanted to grab something to eat, and I'm going to acknowledge this now live for our viewing audience. I, I ended up stopping at Hooters by TF Green, and I got to go. I got to go order. So I did not stay. I got a to go order. Some chicken it. strips and tots for the way home up 95. Um, but anyway, I'm living the life of journalism now. No wonder I need to I need to get back on my diet. I didn't I didn't use to put this kind of weight on when I coached. That's all I did was coach football and eat. Um are they the best team in New England? 
I thought this. Forget about Massachusetts. Are they the best team in New England? The right only, now, yeah, I think. Well, maybe I, ever. I, I think so, but the usually the best team in Connecticut can can stay pretty well with whoever the best team in Massachusetts is. They've got they've had some great teams recently. So, um, but I do think I don't know of anybody who has the guys who can run with their guys. So right. that I mean, the teams that came to mind to me like are Loomis Chafee in Connecticut. Jeff Moore's got some really good. I mean, he's got a bunch of D one guys on that roster. Yeah. Um, I mean, can a, can a BBN BBNN play with them? Um, I would. Can a I would not, play with them. I mean, play with them and beat them are two different things. I think there are some teams that can play with them. I don't know who beats them. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a fair question. And I'm glad I asked it because I thought a lot about it. And I'm like, I, I, there's probably, you know, five to 10 teams that can play with them in New England. Yeah. Maybe even 15 teams that can play with them, but can they beat them in the, at the end of the day, can they match up with that speed? I mean, when you go back and look at that St. John's prep game during the fall two season, they turned the ball over six times and still went 49-24. Yeah. That was insane. Crazy. I mean, that just goes to show you that even if they make mistakes, they still they're just so talented that, that, that it doesn't matter. And it's funny, I was talking to Jeff, you know, Jeff Marcone about their situation at LaSalle. He said they had a bunch of guys out. Um, but they're really the only team so far this season that's actually played with them i mean yeah. granted it's young they've only played three games but yeah so. I, I think the one team on their schedule who you look at well there's a couple teams obviously you're in the catholic conference but with the way that they've played them the last few times st john's prep even though they might not match up from a speed perspective they just know how to play cm you know yeah. they, yeah. they 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 are not they're not blown away when they step on the field with CM. And again, Zavarian played very tough against them in fall too. And they had some speed guys on the field too. So I'm not saying, you know, I think a close game here and there, I just don't expect them to lose. I don't expect them to actually lose when, you know, when you look at them right now. Yeah. Not the way they're playing. And like I said, I was very impressed on uh, Friday night, you know, Hendrick and, I, I, there have been Hendrickin teams the last five years that could have played with them that had more talent. That's a young Hendrickin team. Now, the other thing I do want to point out about that game is that game is going to probably be a regular game for them now because That's um, good. they're calling it the Christian Brothers Classic between the two. I like teams. it. So cool. It's like going to be a regular game for them. And I, I didn't have a chance to ask Coach Marcone when I saw him on Saturday, but I think if he had his druthers, he'd want to play them every year too. I mean, Jeff's always – played up here. He's not, a, you know, afraid to play people. So um, I, I would love to see CM play those two. I would love to see, you know, Keith Croft and Hendrickin told me they're going to need games. So I would love to see St. John's Prep and Hendrickin play or BC High and Hendrickin play or even Zavarian and LaSalle. Like, I think it'd be good for high school football if some of these Catholic schools out of state in the region played each other. I think uh, it would definitely help scheduling because the, the Catholic schools have a hard time scheduling. So yeah. you are watching the New England football show. Before we wrap it up here, I do want to take a minute to thank our sponsors, Gold Athletics, Dill's Place, and Block Builders. I would also want to, I also want to thank our partners at Championship Award Guys. They provide the awards every week for our Coach of the Week 
and our player of the week. As always, you can find us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find Adam at Adam Kirchin, and you can find Kevin at KStone06. You can find me at UFTBJ. For Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin, I'm John Serenitas. Until next week, peace. See ya.